Welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler, Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. So first up, I had to share an amusing anecdote. Just a few weeks ago when I was checking the podcast stats for the month of March, I noticed there was an unusually high number of plays coming from, of all towns, Stamford, Connecticut. Yes, this is actually true. So I guess what I'm saying is, I'm glad that Vince McMahon is a big fan of the Raw Attitude Podcast, so thanks for listening, Vince, and if you need some fresh blood on the writing team, please be sure to get in touch. I appreciate it. Also, as you are no doubt aware, we are only one episode away from the WrestleMania 15 mega episode. And yes, I will indeed have a special guest for that show. I don't want to spoil it yet because we still have to coordinate our schedules and all that good stuff, but I think we'll be able to make it work, so stay tuned for that because he's been a great guest on the show in the past, and I'm looking forward to having him on the next episode as well. Alright, so with that being said, let's get into Monday Night Raw, the go-home episode before the biggest show of the year, WrestleMania 15. And by the way, I love the fact that here in the present day, this episode of the podcast is dropping right before the go-home episode of Raw before WrestleMania 35, so a little bit of nice symmetry there 20 years later. But anyway, it is Monday, March 22nd, 1999, and we have a rarity here because we are live for the second week in a row, this time coming to you from Pepsi Arena in Albany, New York, now called the Times Union Center in the present day. Some of the other noteworthy events which have taken place in this same venue include 19 episodes of Raw, 14 episodes of SmackDown, but surprisingly, only three pay-per-views. No Mercy 2000, New Year's Revolution 2006, where Edge gave us the first ever Money in the Bank cash-in, and, most notably, the 1992 Royal Rumble, where Ric Flair entered at number three and won the whole thing. So we officially begin the show with Stone Cold Steve Austin walking through the parking lot, about to enter the arena. Interestingly, when Austin is walking through the lot, he sees a Coors Light truck parked nearby. The driver of the truck gets out and asks Stone Cold if he can have his autograph, but Austin does him one better and says he'll get him a seat in the arena. Huh, that's awfully nice of Stone Cold. I wonder if being so kind to that beer truck driver will end up paying dividends for him tonight. Huh, I guess we'll see. And from there, we queue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Some of the noteworthy signs in the audience tonight include I can't read, Look Ma, I'm white, I want the rock's bottom, Vinnie Mac blows goats, Paul white trash, Road Dog, I'll suck it, Jerry's CAC 316, yes, that's C A C K, Stone Cold Fears Beavis, Sling Blade, starring J.R. and Dr. Death. 
And my favorite sign of the night, six fat guys with arrows pointing downward. So from there, we kick things off with your WWF champion, The Rock, Vince McMahon, and your WWF European champion, Shane McMahon, heading to the ring. And right off the bat, we can see that there's no ramp this week, but rather it's just a flat path to the ring. I wonder if there's a reason for that. No, probably not. Probably not. So Vince grabs a mic and begins by saying that he's proud to stand between two champions who will each enter WrestleMania with their belts and exit with them as well. From there, he hands the mic to Shane, who proceeds to issue a challenge. He doesn't want to wait for this Sunday, so he's calling out X-Pac tonight for a Greenwich street fight in the parking lot. I mean, I'm not sure how it's a Greenwich street fight when they're in Albany tonight, but I I guess I understand his point. So Shane then hands the mic back to Vince, and he comes up with an interesting theory. He thinks that Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Undertaker have been working together over the past few weeks in order to keep Vince's attention away from Stone Cold. But tonight, as payback for The Undertaker threatening to mess with his family, Vince says that he will have hell to pay with the big boss man when Taker arrives in the arena. From there... Vince hands the mic to your WWF champion, The Rock, who says that he's looking forward to ending Austin's career this Sunday. And at that point, we actually get a shot on the Titantron of Stone Cold backstage watching this segment on a monitor. After The Rock talks some more trash to him, Austin seemingly walks off somewhere else backstage, and then the microphone roulette continues as Vince McMahon once again gets to talk. He says that tonight, the aforementioned Stone Cold Steve Austin will go one-on-one with the big show, Paul White. And, in the interest of fairness, the special guest referee for that match will be... The Rock. However, no sooner does he say that than we get an interruption by... Mankind. So Foley proposes that it should be him versus The Rock one more time, with the winner earning the right to referee tonight's main event. And, of course, The Rock says no to that. However, Foley was thinking one step ahead, so he apparently got in touch with Commissioner Shawn Michaels before the show, and sure enough, HBK already gave the go-ahead, so we will indeed be getting The Rock versus Mankind one more time, with the winner becoming tonight's special guest referee. And so, with his mission accomplished, Foley heads backstage, leaving Rock, Vince, and Shane alone in the ring. But we're not done with this segment yet, so let's take a listen to what happens next. I'm sure Shawn Michaels is having his little fun in San Antonio, Texas, the commissioner. That's all right. Rock, you won't mind one more time taking mankind apart, will you? Matter of fact, the Rock will lay the smackdown on his candy ass. Yes! Much similar to the Greenwich Street fight that we're going to see in Albany, New York. Check it out. Off this, off the bear truck. Wait a minute, Kane. Off this, off the bear truck. 
If you're ready for WrestleMania, give me a hell yeah. You damn right, because Stone Cold Steve Austin has been jerked around long enough. And I will say this, with Paul White as a special referee, or without him, it really don't make a damn, because that belt is coming with me, and that's all I got to say about that. For the last few weeks, shut your little lips. Why come that punch your little glasses off right now? For the last few weeks, I come out here and I sit here and listen to you spend your little nursery rhymes about Jabroni Avenue or Know Your Own Boulevard. Jesus Christ, son, you better get your ass serious because Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to take his ass to Philadelphia, check right in to the SmackDown Hotel, roll right in to room 316, and burn that son of a bitch to the ground. Look at me. Take your little glasses off so I can see your eyeballs, son. Pull them off because I want you to look right here. When that bell rings and the match is over, you are looking at the next WWF champion, and that's the bottom line. Got Stone Cold Simpson. King Stone Cold Steve Austin is focused. As far as right now goes, the big celebration afterwards. Stone Cold's gonna drink a hell of a lot of beer, but I think we ought to share a little pre-match beer right now. Pre-match beer? He's gonna break. I'll tell you what, hey, Stone Cold Jabroni, you come out here and you make your idle threats like you're the great one, but obviously you're not. So The Rock says, you take that truck and drive it right back down. Know your own boulevard. You drive it right hey. back. You check your candy. Wait a minute! Don't ah, no call! It's beer! Don't no call to the beer bath! Ah, beer bath on the corporation! Don't yeah. call! Corporation! A beer bath! You gotta be kidding me! Happy time for Austin! Ah, So as you heard there, Stone Cold Steve Austin proceeded to drive the aforementioned beer truck out from backstage, and the truck was almost too tall because it actually pushed the Titantron screen forward when he drove it through the curtain. For a second there, it almost looked like the whole thing was going to fall down, but thankfully that wasn't the case. And also, I have to give credit where it's due here. At one point, we get a wide shot of the arena where we can see the beer truck driving down the aisle as the fans are just going absolutely insane. People hate on Kevin Dunn, but if that wide shot was his idea, well, then I can only say, uh, well done, Mr. Dunn. So anyway, once Austin parked the truck at ringside, he climbed up on top of it and gave us that fantastic line about checking into room 316 of the SmackDown Hotel and burning it to the ground. Great stuff there. Awesome line. But of course, he wasn't done yet because he then climbed back down, pulled a fire hose out of the truck, and proceeded to spray the rock, Vince, and Shane with beer, and yes, it was actually beer. 
And of course, we get the great visual of Vince McMahon crawling on the mat, helplessly flailing his arms, and making it look like he was actually swimming in the beer. Completely ridiculous, but also pretty hilarious. And of course, Stone Cold makes sure to point the hose into his own mouth at one point, because, you know, he's not going to pass up that opportunity. So Vince, Shane, and The Rock stand there, soaked in beer and completely humiliated, and that was how we began the show. And by the way, in my memory, this whole crazy scene ended up closing this episode of Raw. I didn't realize that this was actually the very first segment, so I'm guessing they must have had to quickly put a new mat on the ring and mop up the floor. But damn, what a way to kick off your go-home episode of Raw before WrestleMania. Now, obviously, this is another hugely famous moment, and one that is remembered very fondly by wrestling fans. In fact, it's so fondly remembered that when the WWE put out a DVD in 2012 called the Top 100 Moments in Raw History, this very segment was listed as the number one moment in the history of Monday Night Raw. And honestly, I can see why, because the whole thing is pure stone cold. He commandeers a vehicle, he raises hell, he humiliates Vince McMahon, and of course, there's beer involved. That's pretty much Stone Cold Steve Austin bingo right there. And personally for me, this is also my favorite instance of Austin, which involves a vehicle, but I'd like to hear your takes on this too, so tweet me at RawAttitudePod and let me know which is your favorite. The beer truck, the Zamboni, the cement truck, the monster truck, his ATV when he becomes the sheriff after he retires. Let's just say there's a lot to choose from. But anyway, it's obviously pretty hard to move on from what is arguably the greatest moment in Monday Night Raw history, but move on we must, and after a commercial break, we go back into the presumably still beer-covered arena for our first match of the evening, and it is for the WWF Tag Team Titles Champions Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart, accompanied by Deborah in an all-white outfit, be sure to file that information away for later, versus brood members Gangrel and Edge, who are accompanied by Christian. So before the match begins, we get a complete what-the-fuck moment as we cut to a Tau Kappa Epsilon frat party, which is being hosted by Jim Ross and Dr. Death Steve Williams. Yes, you heard that correctly. JR and Dr. Death are sitting amongst a bunch of frat boys at an undisclosed university. So, uh, I guess this is their answer to Lee Marshall's Nitro parties or something? Very bizarre, but hey, the college kids love JR apparently, so good for him. Now, remember how I said that Owen and Jarrett were facing Edge and Gangrel? Well, at one point, Christian just slides into the ring and takes Edge's place behind referee Tim White's back, and somehow, Tim White can't tell the difference. And just so we're clear here, Edge is wearing red tights and no shirt, while Christian is wearing blue tights and a white puffy pirate shirt. So what I'm saying is, how do you not notice that? I guess maybe that old cliche about the referees being incompetent is a cliche for a reason. But anyway, despite that confusion, Owen manages to put Edge into the sharpshooter until... Public Enemy runs into the ring and starts brawling with both teams, presumably resulting in a no contest. And then, to further the angle that no one in the company likes Public Enemy, Owen, Jarrett, Edge, Christian, and Gangrel all gang up on them and toss them out of the ring. Is that the last we'll ever see of Public Enemy on Monday Night Raw? They had their final match on Raw last week, but I think it's a safe bet that this is their final Raw appearance, but I suppose time will tell. So anyway, as soon as Public Enemy gets tossed out of the ring, the lights go out, and a red hue comes over the ring, so yes, you probably know what's coming next. Look what's happening here! Everybody's putting into Public Enemy! The Brood Empire! Oh, wait a minute! 
Alas, poor Deborah. Of all the times to wear an all-white outfit, she picks the night when her team is going up against the brood. Very poor timing on her part. Although I have to say, it did look pretty damn cool. And I'll actually give Deborah some props here, because she does sell it pretty well. She looks simultaneously disgusted and on the verge of tears, so credit where credit is due there. And hey, so far the show has had two segments, and we're two for two in terms of somebody getting covered with some sort of liquid. Beer bath versus bloodbath. Which fate would you prefer? Tweet us at Pod. So from there, we then cut backstage where, once again, Lucas from WWF.com has somehow managed to get himself on TV. This week, he's interviewing your new WWF Intercontinental Champion, The Road Dog Jesse James, and your new WWF Hardcore Champion, Badass Billy Gunn. And interestingly, tonight... The Road Dog and Billy will be facing each other in a title versus title match where the winner gets both belts. Now, I don't mean to state the obvious here, but isn't that the type of match you would want to save for, I don't know, your biggest pay-per-view of the year, which is six days away? I feel like a match where the New Age Outlaw powers explode would definitely be WrestleMania-worthy, but hey, maybe that's just me. But so, after a commercial break, it is indeed time for that match. WWF Intercontinental Champion The Road Dog Jesse James versus WWF Hardcore Champion Badass Billy Gunn with the winner receiving both titles. Quick side note here. Back when I did the St. Valentine's Day Massacre episode with Adam from Nitromania, I asked if there were any other instances of two guys entering to the exact same theme song because both Blue Dust and Gold Dust did during that event. Well, tonight... The same thing happened once again because both the Road Dog and Mr. Ass did indeed enter to the classic New Age Outlaws theme music, so be sure to mark that one in your history books. And early on in the match, we quickly found out that these guys make much better partners than opponents because they blow a spot only a couple seconds in. Road Dog sends Billy off the ropes and goes for a hip toss, which Mr. Ass sells by diving face first right down to the canvas. So basically, picture Road Dog holding up his arm for a hip toss, but instead, Billy basically sells as though he was taking a drop toe hold. Definitely some miscommunication there, to say the least. But so, what do you do when that happens? Well, if you're the Road Dog, you simply just pick Billy up and hip toss him anyway, as though nothing ever went wrong. And then, after he arm drags Billy a few times, Mr. Ass rolls over to one of the corners, where Road Dog quite clearly says, I'm sorry to him. Now, yes, that could be a storyline, I'm sorry, since they're tag team partners who have to fight each other, but I think it may have legitimately been Road Dog apologizing to Billy for fucking up the spot. Either way, yikes. So as you might expect, the match doesn't go for very long, but eventually, Mr. Ass does indeed manage to hit Road Dog with the fame asser. He slowly started crawling over to make the pinfall, but before referee Earl Hebner could count to three, Val Venus... Al Snow and Goldust ran into the ring and started beating up both men, resulting in, I assume, another no contest. So yes, we've had two matches thus far, and we're two for two on no contest thanks to guys running out from backstage. Very consistent booking. And then, to make Val, Al, and Goldust look like strong contenders heading into WrestleMania, the Outlaws easily dispatched them despite their two-on-three disadvantage. Okay then. So yes, both men get to keep their respective titles, and even Michael Cole was apparently confused by what this means for WrestleMania, because he finishes the segment by asking, quote, Are we going to have a triple threat match? Are we going to have a four-corner elimination match? I mean, hey man, if you don't know, I damn sure don't know. And shit, at this point, Vince Russo probably doesn't even know either. That's probably a safe bet. 
But from there, we then cut backstage where Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe are fetching a cup of coffee for Vince McMahon. But then we see them look off screen and yell, No, please! as though someone is about to attack them. And then we cut to commercial. And when we come back from the break, we find out who the culprits actually were. Michael, we got serious problems in the back. Yeah, we're live, folks. Back in the uh, back area of the Pepsi Arena, medical personnel and officials attending to Pat Patterson and Jerry Briscoe, the associates of Mr. McMahon. They were attacked during the break. And, folks, you wouldn't guess by who. Legends here in the World Wrestling Federation. But nonetheless, this heinous attack backstage. Not now, please. Come on, guys. You see there, that's Hawking Animals, the original Legion of Doom. Obviously upset with Patterson and Briscoe for what happened last week. Well, I mean, you know, Patterson and Briscoe posed as LOD and lost to Shane McMahon in a, in a handicap match. And look, Paul Henry is with LOD also. They really did a number on, on not just Patterson and Briscoe, but the referee. Everybody's hurt back there. Yes, that's right. The people who attacked Patterson and Briscoe were none other than Hawk, Animal, and Paul Ellering. If you recall last week on Raw, Shane McMahon called out the Legion of Doom for a handicap match, but what we got was Patterson and Briscoe dressed up as the Road Warriors instead. Well, apparently Hawk and Animal weren't big fans of that impersonation because they just beat the shit out of the Stooges, and we see the aftermath of it when we come back from break. Also, somehow it appears that referee Jimmy Corderas legitimately got busted open at some point when he came to break things up because he's badly bleeding from a cut above his eyebrow. And that's why you should never try to help anything, folks. Now sure, this LOD beatdown made sense from a storyline perspective, but at the same time, it kind of made me feel sad to see how far they've fallen. This is literally the first time we've seen Hawk on Raw since the November 16th episode of the show, where they did that little angle where he fell off the fucking Titantron. And now, here he is, four months later, it's his big return, he's reunited with Animal, and this all happens in a here's-what-you-missed-during-the-break segment. Not exactly rolling out the red carpet for the return of one of the greatest tag teams of all time, are they? Yeesh. So from there, we head back inside the arena, where the Blue Meanie is walking to the ring, and he's holding a chair. He then proceeds to call out Shamrock to come down to the ring and get a spanking. And yes, that tricky wording ends up playing out a little bit differently than you might expect, because Ryan Shamrock then emerges from backstage, and sure enough, the meanie sits down on the chair, then proceeds to put Ryan over his lap as though he were about to actually spank her, which of course brings out her brother, Ken Shamrock. So Meanie holds up the chair to defend himself, and that allows Goldust enough time to run down to the ring, sneak up on Ken, and nail him with a low blow. And at this point, we actually get an unintentionally funny moment, because when Goldust sneaks up on Shamrock for the low blow, he bumps his face on Shamrock's ass, and some of his makeup rubs off on Shamrock's tights and butt cheek. So for a while there, I actually thought that Shamrock had shit his pants. If you need a frame of reference, think of that moment when Maria Menounos did the stink face to Eve Torres at WrestleMania 28, so good times, good times there. And by the way, Goldust has now just done a run-in during two straight segments, so is this the go-home episode of Raw before WrestleMania, or is this an episode of Sunday Night Heat? I'm confused. But anyway, Shamrock manages to take Goldust down and put him in the ankle lock, but Meanie breaks it up by nailing Shamrock with a chair shot to the back, the force of which actually ends up bending the chair. 
So Goldust, Meanie, and Ryan Shamrock then head off backstage, with Meanie telling Ryan that what just happened was all her fault. So yes, folks, they're actually doing a love triangle storyline with Goldust, the Blue Meanie, and Ryan Shamrock. I'm not sure if that's better or worse than Vince Russo's proposed storyline of Ryan and Ken having an incestuous relationship, but it's uh, it's at least pretty close. Oh, and by the way, uh, more on Goldust later on tonight. So from there, we once again go back to Jim Ross and Dr. Death, who are at a random frat party somewhere. JR says that he would be at ringside tonight if not for the fact that Hardcore Holly broke his new announce table last week, and then we get a line you probably never expected Jim Ross to utter. If my table hasn't been broke, I'm going to ringside tonight, but we're going to have a great time here. Where are the girls? Forty-seven-year-old Jim Ross, scaring up tail on a college campus near you. Suddenly, I'm starting to think that Dr. Death is a bad influence on him. And then we go from bizarre to somehow even more bizarre. Allow me to set the scene for you. We cut to black-and-white footage of what looks like a 1950s suburban household, old-school Chevy in the driveway, upbeat sitcom music playing in the background, and we can see that the last name of the family on the mailbox simply says... Cleavage. And folks, if you're not familiar with this gimmick, hoo boy, get ready for a doozy. It doesn't last very long, but it certainly is uh, still remembered by wrestling fans. Let's put it that way. So we then go back into the arena for our next match, and it is a non-title bout, WWF Women's Champion Sable versus Ivory, who is accompanied by D'Lo Brown. And before the match begins, Sable grabs a mic and introduces us to her new catchphrase. This is for all the women who want to be me and for the men who come to see me. And after she says that, she also debuts a brand new dance as well, which is basically just her holding her title in the air and swiveling her hips around. She hasn't given a name to that dance yet, but don't worry, she will in the coming weeks. I know you're all on the edges of your seats waiting for that revelation. So anyway, as you might expect, the Sable-Ivory match isn't much of a match at all. Dilo joins the commentary team for this one, but in short order... Terry Runnels and Jacqueline head down to ringside and get in his face, pretty much distracting from the actual match itself. And by the way, the outfit that Terry is wearing tonight, I mean, Jesus H. Christ. I don't know how else to describe it other than it appears to be a mesh top, which is completely see-through. Honestly, I'm not sure how they even let her on network TV wearing this thing. It is outrageous. And so, when Terry walks over to D'Lo... Ever the gentleman, he says to her, and I quote, Why don't you get your $2 slutty ass out of here? Which justifiably earns him a slap in the face. So Dilo then starts walking toward Terry and Jackie, causing them to backtrack around the ring. And, well, that turns out to be a benefit for Sable, because when Ivory bounces off the ropes, Jackie takes that opportunity to grab Ivory's foot and trip her, taking her down to the mat. From there, Sable puts Ivory between her legs for the Sable Bomb, but unfortunately, their timing is a bit off because Ivory accidentally jumps way too early, twice, before Sable does end up hitting her signature Power Bomb. And as you might expect, that was enough to score the one, the two, and the three. Your winner of this non-title match, Sable. 
And then, no sooner does the match end, than Tori runs out from backstage, because we clearly haven't had enough shenanigans yet, but Sable quickly manages to get the better of her and tie her up in the ring ropes. Sable then starts walking toward her, but Tori manages to free herself and kicks Sable down to the canvas. She then mounts her and starts punching Sable in the face until referee Mike Kyoto manages to separate them. Sable grabs her women's title and heads backstage, and that is how we end the segment. So there you have it. Tori gets a few shots in on Sable just six days before their women's title match at WrestleMania. Will she be able to take the belt this Sunday? We shall see. At least we can all agree on one thing, though. At least Tori didn't get any mic time this week. And so, after a commercial break, it is now time for our next bout of the evening, and it is a match to determine who will earn the right to referee tonight's Stone Cold Big Show main event. Your WWF champion, The Rock, who has hopefully showered since that earlier beer bath, versus Mankind in what is perhaps the final chapter in their epic rivalry. And early on, because it's The Rock and Mankind, they immediately exit the ring and start brawling on the floor. Mercifully for Mankind, when The Rock grabs a steel chair, referee Tim White takes it away from him before he can bludgeon Foley to death with it again, so at least that was nice. However, Rock then hit Foley with a suplex on the floor shortly after that, so Mick is clearly determined to get in his usual allotment of unsafe bumps. And by the way, all throughout this show, and particularly during this match, Michael Cole is in full-on Tony Schiavone mode, because he keeps mentioning that tonight is the biggest Raw of all time, and the Stone Cold Big Show match is going to be the biggest main event in the history of Raw. He was so Schiavone-esque here that I was almost expecting his next line to be, Fans, we're out of time, we'll see you next week! But thankfully, though, not the case. But anyway, back in the ring, Mankind went to Irish whip the Rock from one turnbuckle to another, but Rock reversed it, and he accidentally whipped Mankind into Tim White, knocking him down to the ground. Mankind then hit Rock with a double-arm DDT, but he couldn't score the pinfall with the referee incapacitated, and so a certain someone decided to come to the ring and take advantage of this opportunity, so let's pick it up from there. So as you heard there, the big show Paul White came down to the ring and nailed Mankind with a choke slam. but unfortunately for him, referee Tim White, no relation I assume, 
had recovered just in time to see it, resulting in The Rock being disqualified. Therefore, the winner of the match, and the man who will referee tonight's main event, is Mankind. And as you also heard, Foley grabbed a chair and chased Rock away from the ring, where he then proceeded to bicker with the Big Show. So yet again, these two are completely unable to get on the same page, and tonight, it could potentially end up costing Paul White in the biggest main event in the history of Raw. Stay tuned to see how that all ends up playing out. And after a commercial break, it is now time for our next match, Kane versus Goldust. And by the way, unlike last week, we can tell that it's actually Kane tonight because he's wearing his costume that has one of his arms fully exposed. I don't see any tattoos, so clearly it's not The Undertaker in the suit this time around. And so, because it's obviously Kane this time, you would think that would mean there would be no surprises this week, but, well, let's take a listen to what happens when Gold Dust comes to the ring. So Kane and Gold Dust now set for action. This should be a good one, folks. The Bizarre One versus the Big Red Machine right here live on Raw. Look at this. What? Hey! What the? Hey! It's Triple H! Triple H! Triple H with a flame! That's right, as you heard there, when Goldust entered the ring and removed his robe, he took out what was essentially a mini bazooka and blasted a massive wall of fire right into Kane's face. I mean, seriously, this was not like the little fireball that Kane accidentally blasted into China's face a few weeks ago. This was friggin' enormous, and it looked awesome. And then, because we know that the real Goldust would never do something that cool, it then became apparent that the man who fired the bazooka was, in fact... Triple H disguised as Goldust. Now, I have to say, when I was watching this for the podcast, I totally remembered this spot from back in 1999, and I knew it was Hunter the whole time, but I have to say that he still pulled this off really well. Aside from his nose, which is obviously much larger than Goldust, Triple H was quite convincing as the bizarre one, so tip of the cap to Hunter there. And so, with Kane now down on the mat, Triple H starts beating the crap out of him, and he even gets some shots in on some of the referees who try to stop him. They're really playing this up as though Triple H is going over the top with his bloodlust in an attempt to get revenge on Kane, 
but it's a funny juxtaposition because Hunter is wearing gold dust makeup the entire time. It would be like if Shawn Michaels threw Marty Jannetty through the barbershop window while he was wearing Doink the Clown's face paint. Effectively brutal, but also a tad silly looking. Regardless, this was truly an awesome what-the-fuck moment. Not quite on par with last week's Undertaker dressed as Kane swerve, but still an amazing moment. Hats off to Hunter for his impersonation, and also to Kane because, I mean, shit, he had to stand there and get annihilated by that massive wall of fire, so kudos to him because I damn sure wouldn't want to do it. Big thumbs up all around for this segment. And so, from there, we cut back to Jim Ross and Dr. Death at the frat house, and JR asks one of the frat boys who he thinks is going to win between Stone Cold and The Big Show, and the frat boy actually says he thinks Paul White is going to win. I mean, really, dude? You shit-talk JR's pal Stone Cold right to his face? He's your invited guest, man! Yeesh, it's almost like frat guys have poor manners or something. But then, wouldn't you know it, who shows up to crash the frat party but none other than... Hardcore Holly. Yes, Holly is upset over the fact that he lost the Hardcore title last week when Billy Gunn threw him over the top rope onto JR's announce table, which, it should be mentioned, makes no fucking sense. I mean, Billy Gunn is the one who threw Holly over the top rope. Jim Ross's table just happened to be there. It's not like JR picked up Holly himself and powerbombed him through the damn thing, so I'm not sure why old Bob is so pissed at him. But anyway, Hardcore Holly gets in Jim Ross's face, which causes Dr. Death to start brawling with Holly all throughout the frat house. So cue a million instances of some douchebags yelling, Woo! So Holly and Dr. Death basically start having their own hardcore match all around the house, destroying property left and right, until eventually the camera feed cuts out. We're not sure how the match ends, but since they're at a frat house, I'm guessing the loser had to participate in the elephant walk. And speaking of which, after I typed that line, I thought I may have been out of line to talk about hazing in regard to this particular fraternity. But then I googled Tau Kappa Epsilon. And as it turns out, as recently as 2015, they were indeed reported for hazing their recruits. One article from the New York Post specified some of the ways they tortured some of their would-be frat brothers, which included, and I quote, restraining and branding him, beating him repeatedly with wooden paddles, urinating on him, extinguishing cigarettes on his skin, depriving him of sleep, pelting him with eggs and rotten food, and forcing him to exercise, binge drink, and eat raw onions and sticks of butter until he got sick, only to shower him in his own vomit when he did. So I guess what I'm saying is, that must have been a pretty rough night for Jim Ross. Yikes. But anyway, after commercial break, it is indeed time for the Greenwich Street Fight, WWF European Champion Shane McMahon versus X-Pac in what is obviously a non-title match since, uh, well, this isn't even really a match. So we see Shane waiting in the parking lot, and we then cut to X-Pac, who's about to exit the arena and meet Shane outside. And from there, well, I might as well play what happens next. X-Pac now heading for the alleyway, set to take on Shane McMahon in what's been deemed a Greenwich street fight, and there's Shane, and here we go. Look at that guts of Shane. He's ready for him. Get it, Shane. Oh, watch yourself, Shane. Oh, what a kick. Oh, my God, he's on the concrete. King, I'll tell you what, it's freezing cold out there. Wait a minute. Look at the hell. Let's 
So yes, once X-Pac sees Shane, he immediately nails him in the face with a spin kick, causing Shane to fall down and hit the back of his head right on the concrete. Spoiler alert for King of the Ring 2001, this will not be the only time in his career that Shane lands headfirst on concrete. Ugh. So with X-Pac now standing over Shane and getting in some punches, two Corvettes pull up onto the scene, and from there the Mean Street Posse make their official non-vignette debut, jumping out of the cars and pushing X-Pac up against the garage door. Oh, wait, sorry, I called them the Mean Street Posse. I guess I should say the Greenwich Posse, since that's what they're referred to as during this segment. And notably, Jerry Lawler says that the four members of the Posse are Rodney, Pete Gass, Willie Green, and Billy P., who I don't recall ever being mentioned previously in those vignettes. And I'm not sure if we ever get to see him again either, but oh well, he was there for this one. So all four posse members hold up X-Pac, which enables Shane to get in a cheap shot and punch him right in the balls. From there, Shane and the posse all scramble back into their Corvettes and drive away as Shane taunts the pursuing X-Pac. And I've got to hand it to him, the way this feud has been built up, you certainly can't wait to see X-Pac finally get his hands on Shane this Sunday at WrestleMania and take back his European title. I mean, obviously, there's no other way that match can possibly go, right? So, definitely looking forward to that one. And so, after commercial break, we go back into the arena for our next match, and it is a six-man tag team match. Ministry of Darkness members, The Undertaker and The Acolytes, accompanied by Paul Bearer, versus Corporation members, The Big Boss Man, Ken Shamrock, and Test. So as soon as the bell rings, Farouk and Bradshaw immediately exit the ring and start brawling with Shamrock and Test, leaving The Undertaker and the Big Boss Man by themselves. And at this point, I have to note an amusing spot. The Boss Man swings his nightstick at Taker and hits him right in the face, knocking the dead man to the ground, but just as he's doing that, a beach ball is thrown into the ring. And at first glance... It kind of looks like the beach ball hits Taker at the same time that Bossman's nightstick does, so you could make the case that The Undertaker got knocked unconscious by that beach ball. I took a video of this and put it up on our Twitter, at RawAttitudePod, and last I saw, it was the most liked and most retweeted post I've ever done. Feel free to check it out, because it does look pretty funny. I mean, how often do you get to see a video where it looks like The Undertaker gets knocked out by a beach ball? That's quality stuff. Also, I tagged Matthew from Botchamania in it, and he asked me what show it was from, so I think there's a fair chance you may see this clip in the next Botchamania episode. Fingers crossed, folks. Fingers crossed. But anyway, Taker eventually does his Michael Myers sit-up routine, and he and Bossman then quickly exit the ring, brawling at ringside for a bit, before they ultimately decide to head into the crowd and start fighting amongst the fans. And after they do that for a little while, the lights go out. And then... Well... Actually, nothing happens. They don't turn the lights back on, and we just go to commercial. Alrighty then. Well, hey, I suppose you can't expect The Undertaker to do some crazy angle every single week, right? I mean, there's only so much he can do. But don't worry, folks. He certainly has something interesting in store for the boss man for their Hell in a Cell match at WrestleMania. I suppose we can just leave it at that. So after we come back from commercial, 
Vince McMahon is now walking to the ring, amusingly wearing his suit coat, but no shirt underneath. Presumably it must have been ruined by the torrent of beer which was sprayed at it earlier tonight. And hey, actually, quickly going back to The Undertaker, I find it a bit strange that he's been tormenting Vince for roughly six straight weeks, but tonight, hardly a mention of that feud whatsoever, and they're even in back-to-back segments without crossing paths. Granted, I'm sure they'd rather play up the Rock-Austin rivalry since that's the main event of WrestleMania, and Vince is involved in that feud as well, but still, it's a bit weird that they completely ignore that angle when the Ministry was at Vince's friggin' house last week. That's all I'm saying. So anyway, Vince grabs a mic, and amusingly, he demands that they re-show the beer bath segment, and, well, let's listen to what he has to say from there. Austin, I hope you enjoyed that. I'm sure he did. Because, Austin, I promise you, no, no. I guarantee you, Austin, you're not going to enjoy what you're about to experience. Good. No. Uh Uh-uh. And let me tell you something, Austin. There is no chance in hell of you becoming the WWF champion at WrestleMania. Not a chance in hell. There's that guarantee again. You take that to the bank, Michael Cole. King, he means it. We've heard that before. Right. (laughs) So, with that in mind, allow me to introduce the champion now and the man who will be the champion after WrestleMania is over, the guest commentator who's going to sit right down there. What? What? The Rock. Oh, yeah. The corporate champion. You smell what The Rock is cooking? Terrific. It's pretty plain to me that they're stacking the deck against Stone Cold Steve Austin right here tonight. So once again, Vince McMahon is saying that Stone Cold Steve Austin has no chance in hell at WrestleMania, the very same claim he made before the Royal Rumble, which ultimately proved to be correct. Will he be right again this Sunday? We shall see. But in the more immediate future, as you heard there, he announced that The Rock will be the special guest commentator for tonight's main event, giving the corporation another man at ringside during the match. Makes sense to me. Good logic. And so, from there, it is indeed time for, quote-unquote, the biggest main event in Monday Night Raw history, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Big Show, Paul White, with special guest referee, Mankind. For those scoring at home, this is The Big Show's first real singles match on Monday Night Raw. Remember that he was in a tag match last week, but tonight we'll get to see how he fares one-on-one against the top star in the entire business. And if you're Paul White, I have to assume that moments like these are why you left WCW to come to the WWF in the first place. I think it's safe to say he made the right call. And funny enough, both Austin and Paul White are pretty much wearing the exact same ring gear in this match, We're so accustomed to seeing the Big Show in those strapped singlets, but tonight, not the case. He's rocking some Stone Cold-esque black tights, so good for him. So once the match begins, the first thing I can't help but note is that the Big Show is really selling for Austin. When Stone Cold hits him with punches, he's flailing his arms back and staggering, and to be honest, I would kind of prefer if he wouldn't do that. This is your big monster acquisition from WCW. I feel like he should be selling as little as possible in these early months, but maybe that's just me. And then, very early in the match, Stone Cold rolled out of the ring and grabbed Paul White's legs, tripping him to the ground so he could try to position his legs around the ring post. I'll repeat that. 
250-pound Steve Austin just grabbed the allegedly 500-pound Big Show's legs from outside the ring and took him down to the mat like it was nothing. And again, this is about a minute into the match. Why is your monster 7-foot heel falling to the mat that easily? I just don't get it. Anyway, shortly after that, with both men outside the ring, Paul White picked up Austin by the throat with both of his hands and started choking him in midair. But then, Mankind jumped off the ring apron and nailed the Big Show in the back with an axe handle. So apparently we have our answer as to whether or not Foley was willing to overlook that choke slam from earlier tonight. And by the way, I have to say, once again, we had another main event that featured a really hot Attitude Era crowd. These fans were behind Austin all the way, at one point even busting out a Stone Cold chant. We've obviously heard Austin many times, but Stone Cold was a new one, so good for them. Haven't heard that before. But anyway, the match mostly consists of the Big Show beating the crap out of Austin around the ringside area until Foley eventually grabs a chair and tells Paul White to take the action back inside the ring. Now... Remember that part about Foley grabbing a chair because when he re-enters the ring, he leaves it sitting in one of the corners and, well, let's just say that may come into play in just a moment. So toward the end of the match, the Big Show busted out a bear hug to wear down Austin, and let's pick it up from there with Stone Cold in Paul White's clutches and see how this all goes down. Squeeze the breath out of him! Austin can't even get a breath of air, King! Okay, so what you heard there was Austin escaping the bear hug, grabbing a steel chair, and nailing the Big Show twice in the leg, and then three times in the head with the chair. The Rock briefly jumped up on the ring apron to try and interfere, but Austin swung the chair at him and chased him away. And from there, Stone Cold simply hit Paul White with a stunner, Mankind made the not-at-all-rushed three-count, and Steve Austin pinned the Big Show in his first-ever Monday Night Raw singles match. 
Aha. From there, an angry Big Show started brawling with Mankind on the arena floor, but The Rock then entered the ring and managed to nail Stone Cold with a rock bottom. We went off the air with The Rock posing on the second turnbuckle and raising an eyebrow, getting the advantage on his bitter rival just six days before WrestleMania. Will The Rock successfully defend his title this Sunday as Vince McMahon guaranteed? Well, I suppose you'll just have to tune into the next episode of this podcast to find out, now won't you? And let's just say that I certainly have quite a few more thoughts on this main event, and I'll get to them shortly, but for now, let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seas back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. I freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been dug in. Then he passed out more homes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas out of my fucking mind. It won't let me back in. Cause yeah. I was down before the heights like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now I'm rocking Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster plucking. Chickens when they plucking. Cause WWF stands for women where we fucking. The Ratings Recap Well, as you would probably expect with this being the go-home show before WrestleMania, there was tremendous interest in Monday Night Raw this week, so much so that Raw scored a 6.44 rating, their second highest rating of all time up to this point. Nitro, by comparison, ended up with a 3.95, their second lowest rating of the year so far. In terms of actual viewers, that means that 7.3 million people watched Raw, while 3.8 million watched Nitro, but damn, that's more than 11 million people watching wrestling on a Monday night. For the sake of comparison today, Raw has been averaging a little more than 2.5 million viewers lately in the lead-up to WrestleMania 35, so... yeah. But that's the present. Let's focus on the past, and what you could have been watching over on Nitro on this night instead. And by the way, this was one of those spring break nitros where they're at a nightclub in Panama City Beach, Florida. And, well, let's just say they'll have a very memorable episode from this same city two years from now. But with that being said, this venue looks pretty goddamn awesome, as they essentially have the ring positioned above a swimming pool, and the wrestlers have to cross a bridge to get over to it. Fucking love it! But anyway, here are the results from the show. Van Hammer defeated Bull Payne. Yikes. El Dandy, Psychosis, Silver King, and La Cucaracha, who was actually Disco Inferno in a mask, defeated Damien, La Parca, Lismark Jr., and Super King. Rick Steiner defeated Fit Finley. Juventud Guerrera defeated a no-makeup-wearing El Vampiro, and yes, he had L in front of his name on this night. Goldberg defeated Hardcore Hack. Vincent defeated Horace, again, yikes. Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko defeated Perry Saturn and Raven via DQ to retain their tag team titles. Scott Steiner defeated Chris Jericho to retain his United States Championship. And in your main event, Rey Mysterio defeated WCW World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair by disqualification, so he did not win the belt. I mean, geez, can you imagine Rey Mysterio being a world champion? Come on, never happen, never happen. And that actually provides a fitting segue into this week's excerpt from the book The Death of WCW by Brian Alvarez and R.D. Reynolds. Quote, The only exciting thing about the spring breakout Nitro was that after Rey Mysterio beat Flair in a title match via DQ, he tossed him into the swimming pool that the ring was floating on. Some observers strongly believe that if a wrestler was thrown into a swimming pool on every single edition of Nitro, the company would still be alive today. End quote. Well, it 
probably would have been more entertaining than Van Hammer versus Bull Payne, that's for sure. So I say, more wrestlers in swimming pools if you can bypass that match. But so, on that note, let's take it to the Raw Synopsis. Now, obviously, there's no way I'm going to give a thumbs down to an episode of Raw that featured the beer bath and Triple H's awesome Goldust impersonation, but I have to admit, that Austin Big Show main event really left a bad taste in my mouth. The match was actually very enjoyable until we got to the finish where, yes, Stone Cold essentially beat Paul White cleanly. I know you could make the argument that Austin used a chair, so technically he was utilizing a foreign object, but it was still a totally clean pinfall, even with Mankind acting as the special guest referee. If Foley had done a fast three count, I could maybe accept that decision, but no, he counted completely normally. So I'm sorry, but I really have to question their logic here. You've spent weeks building Paul White up as a threat, and when you finally put him in his first ever one-on-one singles match on Raw, he jobs. I understand that they want to make Stone Cold look strong heading into WrestleMania, but have him beat someone else. Don't put him over your new expensive acquisition. What purpose does that serve other than completely killing the mystique of the Big Show as an unstoppable giant less than two months into his WWF tenure? I just do not get it. Now, I did some research here to try and find any explanation as to why they blew off Austin vs. Big Show so quickly, and as it turns out, this very topic actually was discussed by Kevin Kelly on the Place to Be podcast back in 2013, episode number 221, in case you're curious. So here's a quick two-minute clip of Kevin Kelly explaining what led up to tonight's main event. Now, the, in a moment, we're going to talk about the the mania, the WrestleMania build in general, but the Raw leading into it, the main event was Steve Austin and the Big Show, which you would think new guy coming in against the guy in the company, you could build the hell out of this big pay per view match down the line, have him you know for the title and be Vince's guy and this whole big, and instead you give it away on a free Raw the week into WrestleMania. And on top of it, Steve beats him clean. Why do that? What do you think? Going back to my thought process before, um, you know, there was I, – I never have a problem with a guy losing in his first match in, really, it, unless he's this this almost mythological character like the Big Show was. And we, we had quickly built him up into that level because of his size and his stature and what he meant coming over as a free agent signee and – uh, you know, the guy could destroy everyone. Did Steve want to work with somebody like that? No. I don't think he wanted to at all. I think there was, you know, he was very concerned about his physical condition. And he knew that if he was working with guys that he really didn't know or trust or like, you know, that something could go wrong. Right. And, uh, you know, if he's, if he's going to be, he's going to be the pinball bouncing off of Big Show as opposed to him just being able to go in the corner and sell and fight back and, you know, hit the stunner. What's he going to do with the big show? He's going to be taking slams and choke slams and all these other things and no thanks. So, so why did they just keep him apart? Like, I, why did they have to have him job to him the week before media? Why even? Then, then the other side of the coin is we've got live episodic television every week that we're competing against Nitro on and we need a big money match in our main event spot. What are we going to do? You're right. It was very short-sighted, but that was the thought process. Steve doesn't want to work with him anyway. 
we're not going to get any pay-per-view out of this because we're not going to get any angle out of it. Mm-hmm. So why don't we just do it as a one-off here on TV, and maybe Steve will change his mind. So there you go. I guess that provides somewhat of an explanation, but still, overall, an incredibly dumb move in my humble opinion. I'm sorry, but you don't job out your seven-foot monster six weeks into his run, especially when you've signed the fucking guy to a 10-year contract. I mean, Christ, that should just be common sense, shouldn't it? Yeesh. But yes, overall, the go-home show before WrestleMania gets a thumbs up from me, despite the, shall we say, questionable booking of the main event. If you seek out anything from this show, definitely watch the beer bath if you somehow haven't done that already about a hundred times like I have, and of course be sure to check out the Triple H Gold Dust impression, complete with Fire Bazooka. Great stuff there. And finally, before we officially bring this episode to a close, here are some notes from this week's edition of the Wrestling Observer, and I have to say, even though this was the week before WrestleMania, we're surprisingly a little bit light on news, but here are some of the more interesting tidbits. Scott Steiner was sentenced to 10 days in jail for intentionally running his car into someone else's vehicle twice. Apparently an exit ramp was closed and a Department of Transportation worker was blocking it off, but Steiner really wanted to take that exit, so he bumped the guy's car on two separate occasions to try and get him to move. He was also ordered to pay a $25,000 fine and do 200 hours of community service, so if you're like me, right now you're probably picturing Scott Steiner angrily ladling out soup at a homeless shelter. Maybe that's just me, though. Probably is. Ticket sales for Thunder continue to decline, as this week they sold only about 5,600 tickets for an arena that seats roughly 25,000 people. The WCW decline is happening rapidly right before our eyes, folks. Meanwhile, the WWF is planning a new television show, which is set to air on UPN. The idea is for it to be a women's-only wrestling program, similar to Glow from the 1980s. And, well, let's just say this never ends up coming to fruition, but they do end up with a pretty successful wrestling show on UPN very soon. Stay tuned for that. And finally, regarding the Undertaker-Vince McMahon storyline... Dave Meltzer reports that the angle is expected to end with the revelation that the person who has been working behind the scenes with The Undertaker the entire time is Linda McMahon. And I'm certainly looking forward to that promo. It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. Can't wait. And so, on that note, I think we can wrap this episode up. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Oh, and also I have to give a big shout-out to all of our new subscribers from that Undertaker Beach Ball video that I posted on Twitter. Thanks a lot for coming on board, and we hope you stick around. And if you write a five-star review for us on iTunes, that'll help us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. I have nothing further to add about this episode, so I will now leave you with a clip from that aforementioned DVD called The Top 100 Moments in Raw History, where the beer bath is listed as the number one moment in the history of Monday Night Raw, and Stone Cold Steve Austin gives his take on the whole thing. So enjoy that, and I will catch you next time for the WrestleMania 15 Mega episode with a very special guest. See you then. 
Matter of fact, The Rock will lay the smack down on his candy ass. That beer truck was such a great deal. Uh-oh! What? Drove that thing in in Albany, New York. What? Wait a minute! What the hell? Wait a Man, I remember going through that thing that day, and I didn't think it was going to make it underneath the big raw sign. We had 30 gallons of real beer that was going to come out of the truck, and then it turned to water. So that was real beer. The rattlesnakes crashed in the corporation party! Shane advanced and Rock were in the ring, and boy, I came through there, and as soon as people saw that beer truck, they went absolutely ape. Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to take his ass to Philadelphia, check right in to the SmackDown Hotel, roll right in to Room 316, and burn that son of a bitch to the ground! I mean, how many times you get to see a big beer truck come inside an arena, damn near knock down the raw signage, park at the ring, and a damn uh, hell-raising guy with a goatee gets out with a fire hose and starts spraying everybody in the ring. And ah, so cold! It's beer! So cold with a beer bath! Ah, a beer bath on the corporation! The sell job by Vince and The Rock and Shane was priceless. I mean, Vince trying to swim in the middle of the ring in a beer was just absolutely bullshit. It was one thing for me to do it, but it's the way they sold it, which was really the icing on the cake. He can't get away with this! He can get away with anything he damn wants to right now! Look at Mr. McMahon! It's a $3,000 suit! And it was just a great time, and people just ate it up. <laughs>